HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week on Meet and 3, I'm about to go on maternity leave. This is Katie Mosman-Wadler, and before I leave you in the incredibly capable hands of Team HRN, we're rounding out Season 5 with a deep dive into the food rules, weird cravings, and overall hype about eating while pregnant. There are a lot of safe foods to eat, and we shouldn't be sort of assuming that just because something is raw that it's dangerous. I just found myself feeling like there was an alien piloting my body and brain and uh, totally changed the way that I ate. So was it the eggplant? Sure. Why not? I just don't know. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and 3 anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll be back soon with our newest and tiniest producer in tow. This episode is brought to you by Huertas, a Basque-influenced restaurant in NYC's East Village. Learn more at huertasnyc.com. That's H-U-E-R-T-A-S-N-Y-C dot com. Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Hannah Williams. We'll talk to Hannah about wine, psalms, and Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Hannah was kind enough to bring in a Chianti for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Hannah Williams studied creative writing at Columbia, or Barnard and also studied abroad in Scotland, where she found her love for wine. She eventually made her way back to New York City, where she pursued a career in wine. Hannah is a wine and spirits best new sommelier of 2019, where, by the way, she started as an intern. Maybe there's kind of connection there. Um, And also just became an advanced sommelier. 
Hannah Williams is the beverage director at Dan Barber's Blue Hill at Stone Barns in Pocantico, New York. Did I say Pocantico, right? Pocantico Hills. Pocantico Hills. Yeah. Cantico. Cantico. Um, Hannah, welcome to the Grape Nation. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for coming in. I just want to say that this is our first show of the new season, uh, Q1 2020. And I'm excited to have Hannah in here. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's get people to know a little about who you are. We ask everybody about their journey in life and wine that got you to where you are, which is the beverage director running the program at Blue Hill, which is Dan Barber's northern outpost of... Stone, not Stone Barns, of Blue Hill yes. at Stone Barns. Yeah. Um, so take me up to the current. Yeah, so born and raised in Miami, Florida. Miami, Miami? Miami, Miami. Okay. I wasn't necessarily on South Beach in a suburb called Pinecrest, but okay. uh, definitely grew up with Cuban food and cocktails and no wine whatsoever around me. No wine. No wine. Uh, still a pretty shallow wine world down there, but it's getting better and better each time I go back and visit. Um, my and your family. Yeah. It wasn't a wine family on the no. table. Thing. Okay. My, my dad's from Wales, and he was very like into <laughs> beer and pork pies, uh, okay. but nothing fancy and definitely not wine. So, uh, yeah, I got into my dream school, which was Barnard College, which is the Women's Liberal Arts College of Columbia University, so under the Columbia umbrella of schools. Um, and I was a dancer most of my life, so I went there for their dance program as well and thought that's what I was going to pursue for the rest of my life. I uh, loved English, was a creative writing uh, major as well. Um, but studied abroad in Scotland. What uh, year? My, Typical junior year? Yeah, my junior year okay. for one semester. Right. Um, and I have celiac disease, so gluten-free entirely since I was nine years old. Um, it's actually a problem when buying the beer, pro, you know, for the beer program at Blue Hill now. But yeah, never had So you're beer. not asymptomatic. You no, eat yeah. it, you feel it. Yeah, very okay. much. Like, kills me. Okay. Yeah. So my whole life been gluten-free. Uh, but not because no carbs, like truly, like, like not paleo, no. like me, which is like trendy and oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> cool or whatever. You know, I don't yeah. eat gluten. Go ahead. No, Sorry. really, don't eat gluten. Um, so at the time, I thought I couldn't have whiskey, and I definitely wasn't drinking beer. I now know I can drink whiskey because it's a distilled product, and I'm more beverage, you know, educated. Um, but basically, I joined a competitive blind tasting team within the Wine Society when I was like 18 years old. This is in Scotland. 19, yeah, in Scotland. And that's how I made friends. And at first, it was really just fun. And I went from not knowing what Pinot Grigio was and Riesling to suddenly being able to blind taste uh, with this group of people. And we'd meet like twice a week. And there was uh, competitions against like Oxford, Cambridge. You could mm. win trips to Bordeaux. So it opened up like this entire world for me, and and you were intrigued and kind of yeah. caught up. And through in- tasting, really, like that sensory experience where you don't know the price of a wine, you don't know if it's Grand Cru, you don't even know what the grape is. It uh, really pure. takes away. It's pure, um, and I loved it. <clears throat> so I went back to the states and felt like I had really like almost lost something that I really loved and. I decided to put my English major to use and got an internship at the tasting department for six months at Wine and Spirits magazine. So wait, you come back and your mind is set on a wine-centric direction? Yes. 
But so I was like, testing it out. But like you said, you had writing skills. Right. So you, you took that to the wine world. Yeah. So you wind up at Wine and Spirits as wind an intern. Wind up, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, I was a wind tasting up. department intern, um, which was a great gig for me at the time because uh, I made $50 a week. But they let me carry as many wines home that were like extra tasting wines as I could carry, which was amazing. Cause and that was important to you. Yeah, it was so important. I needed to taste. Like I was reading up on, you know, what Carmenere was, and I didn't. I wanted to taste what a Carmenere was. Now that's definitely not what I'm drinking. But at the time, that was so essential to my education. And at Wine and Spirits, you would taste literally 50 Santorini wines all at once, and it was like the best learning environment. And those tastings were like very stressful working them and you're serving Pascaline and you're serving the wine director of the Nomad and it's like all these people you read about, you're suddenly having to like bring trays over shaking of little glasses of wine for them to taste and then go back and hand wash all of them and bring them another flight. But it was amazing exposure. It turns out that was important to what you're doing now. Super important. You know, a lot of people like you, instead of doing an internship, would get a lowly job at a, an Italian restaurant and just right. be exposed to Italian wines. Right. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You really were thrown into the whole world. Yeah. And I know Josh Green. We both know him. And oh, he's, he's a world wine guy. He is. I'll give him that much. Yeah. All right. So you do that for how long? Six months. <laughs> and then I decided in that time, like, I was, I was becoming obsessed with the industry, with restaurants. And I had never worked in a restaurant. And that was a big problem. And I decided I really wanted to work as a sommelier eventually in a restaurant. Um, and I dined one night at Del Posto with my mom. Uh, she had brought me a $50 gift card for Christmas to Del Posto, which probably gets That's you... one appetizer for yeah, one person. Or half a plate of pasta. Yeah. Because they had a special gluten-free menu, Mark Laudner was making like the most amazing gluten-free pasta. So He's a cool pasta yeah, guy. Yeah. I literally only went there to try their gluten-free pasta. And while I was there, I met this young, uh, passionate uh, sommelier, Luke Boland. And I started talking to him. What year are we talking? Approximate. Uh, um, or how many years ago? 2015, <laughs> okay. probably. Almost five years ago. Yeah. Okay. So I was just, you know, I had just come back from wine tasting, from being at Wine and Spirits. I was basically gushing about how much I loved wine and wanted to be in the wine world. He had just passed his advanced exam and was sitting for master's. And I just, like, loved talking to him and seeing his process. And he poured me, you know, some Sangiovese, which I guess we're coming back to today, and... Uh, some dessert wine, some Vincento, I remember, so both Tuscan. And he's like, hey, there's this project down the line, which wound up being La Serena. And he's like, I'm going to be heading up that project. Would you like to be considered for like a seller master position? This is Luke? Luke, Okay. Yeah. So he gave me my first opportunity for real in the wine world. So everyone knows wine people and restaurant stuff, but what, what's a seller master do? Yeah, so... Schlepper? I think master is, like, too nice of a word for it. <laughs> right. uh, you're a cellarette. Right. But you got to start somewhere. So it's the cellarette. So you're the out-of-sight guy. Yeah. And I wasn't necessarily, like, physically built for that job, especially, like, three flights down at La Serena. Ooh, it's a big um, place. But, yeah, you just got to be on the wine team. So I was on the opening team. Um, you were cool with that? I was totally cool with that. Happy to do it? Yeah, I actually graduated early from Barnard to take this position. I was like done with school. I was like, I love it, but I'm ready to make money and, you know, be in the Did you graduate early to get the hell out of there because you wanted to get going with this? Yeah, yeah. I was just focused. I knew what I wanted to do. I loved loved school, but I wanted to streamline my 
my professional career, which I now knew was going to be wine. So while I was graduating early, Jeff Porter and Luke set up like this six month stage for me at all the restaurants. So I got to spend time at Del Posto, Babo, Lupa. I met all the wine directors there, helped them with wine dinners, really just got used to being in a restaurant too. So you bump around to a bunch of restaurants. Within the company. What period of time do you hit all the restaurants? Um, So this was uh, right before 2016. So I graduated with the class of 2015, but I was 2016. So it was like that whole fall semester. Okay. And I would do it a few times a week because I had less of a workload was finishing up my theses, and I got to spend time with Jeff Porter, and he's like the coolest guy ever, and is such like a wine papa bear, and is so nice, and my favorite thing is every day he would ask me what I was reading, um, and I would be like, well, the wine Bible and the wine atlas. Was, was the reference towards wine reading no. or reading in no. general? And he'd be like, no, no, Hannah, what are you reading? Right. And he was always reading like neuroscience books <laughs> right. or like you were nerding, You sleep. were nerding out on yeah. wine. Right. And he's like, he's such a holistic person and taught me that it's, it's about politics. Stelling wine is about lore and history. It's everything. And uh, I really perspective. liked his perspective. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I opened La Serena. We had the most amazing opening team of like some ways that I'm still some of my best friends, including Scott. Let's talk Scott. about who they were. Yeah, so Scott Woltz, um, who is the reason I'm on this show right Past now. Past guest and yeah. friend. Uh, now corporate beverage director of quality branded, so right. mega empire in the wine and food industry, especially in New York. Right. Um, Summer Noop, who's one of my best friends. Maria Rust, who opened Sometime Wine Bar now. Uh, Where's named- that? Uh, it's on the Upper East Side, like uh-huh. 52nd, you know, Midtown East. But it's basically like the most amazing dive bar for Psalms. Psalm yeah. time. Psalm time. Yeah. I gotta look One for of my that. favorite places. So it was just this amazing team. Christian Grun, who is Amanda Smeltz's husband now. And so it was, it was such a fun team. And we all got along so well together. Um, and we got to learn from Luke, who was sitting for his exams at the time and created the most amazing wine list. Uh, there, so I got uh, you know to really learn Italian wine and champagne, which we carried like right. Del Posto. Um, so I made it from assistant, uh, uh, you know, essentially like the cellar master role to assistant sommelier, and then I became sommelier uh, within like a year and a half time frame there. So it was a quick trajectory, um, but well, probably well deserved, and yeah. you worked hard. How long were you there total? About a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Then what happens? So then uh, the restaurant was going or undergoing a lot of like, you know, change. And it went to like half Spanish with Anthony Sasso, who is one of my favorite chefs in the world. But it was, you know, changing a lot. They were having their issues. Yeah. and um, They thought they were bulletproof. Then they opened that place. It was just a really big space. And I loved it. And it had. It was in the maritime, right? Yeah. But it took up an entire block of New York City. Right. Um, and it had so much potential. And we started off almost like a mini fine dining restaurant. But it was hard to maintain those standards with such a large amount of space. Um, so basically, it became clear to most of us that it was time to jump ship. And I remember I, I like came one day to Luke. And I was like, Luke, I'm sorry, but I've applied somewhere else. Like It's like you're telling someone you're seeing someone else. And he's but like, so Luke, am I. Luke had to see yeah. what you saw. Yeah, no, he, he was, was just a, trying to hold it together. He probably. was, yeah. And he actually told me at that time, oh, yeah, I'm also leaving. I meant to tell you. And I was like, great. So um, I saw this posting for Blue Hole at Stone Barns. 
And I was like, that's like applying to Harvard. Like, this is sort way of. out of my league. There's no way. Don't ever think that. I'm telling you now. Yeah. There's nothing ever above you. No. It's okay it then. Like but, it. but from that, but yeah. never feel that way again. Okay. Yeah. So this is about what year? 17? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 17, I think. 2017. And uh, so I'm like preparing for this interview. Uh, I knew one of the Psalms, Charlie Berg, who was a uh, former sommelier there under Charles um, for a few years, and he recommended me. Um, Charles is Charles Puglia, yeah. who was the wine guy yes. at uh, Stone Barns. Yes. So you had uh, somebody to help you. Yeah, so just you. sent my resume forward, which does do a lot for you in this industry. Um, <clears throat> and I went up there, and it was a snowy, snowy day, <laughs> a snowy Sunday, I remember. I got there at like 9 in the morning. And most of the staff was not coming into work that day because it was so snowy. It was like an actual snow day. the restaurant is in Westchester on, I think, an old yeah. Rockefeller estate yes. or something. Yes, So it's the not farm. like a corner New York City restaurant. Nope, it's quite difficult to get to. Right. Uh, especially it's when a schlep, as we call it. It is a schlep. Yeah. So basically, it wound up being like a nine-hour interview. Um, it was such a long interview that my parents embarrassingly called the front desk because they thought something happened to me. That's because funny. I was like, that's the worst way to end an interview is your parents calling to check in on you. But uh, No, that's actually no, sweet. No, it was cute. Um, but yeah, it was a very intensive interview. But was it all talking or he wanted you to taste or, you no, know, look at stuff? or Charles is like one of my favorite people. He's the nicest guy. He was wearing like a Taco Cat shirt while interviewing me. It was the best thing. <laughs> Um, but I met with, you know, the GM, the AGM, you know, everyone. Um, and then they had me stage because they're like, you're already here and it's far away. Do you want to stage? And I was like, great. So you want them over early. Yeah. Why would they keep you there? I don't know. Uh, they hire you on the spot? Well, they sat me down to eat, which was very <laughs> unexpected. And I had only well, had... it was dinner time by uh, the time you were done, was, right? But I was so nervous. Like, I had only had a bowl of Cheerios at like 6 a.m., but I was like forcing down Brussels sprouts and whatever they put in front of me because I know they were showing chef my, you know, what I ate and what I didn't. And they're pouring me wine and I'm like, oh God, you know, mm. <laughs> but. Um, Empty stomach. They poured me, then William Carroll, who was the head sommelier then, came over and poured me 1845 Dolivaris Madeira to finish. Jesus. And I was like, okay, I should work here. Decided, you know, after that. Um, it was incredibly generous. And basically they told me I had to move closer to they didn't want you stuck no, in the commute no and you were okay with that i was okay with that um but i i had just signed a lease actually at <laughs> jane lopes's old apartment not not convenient yeah it was not convenient and but i felt very that, bad about that yeah but i knew too that good this to, was yeah you have to make do I, I agree so i gave up everything i moved to harlem for the time being um i bought a car which was i'm still paying off obviously uh, but again, all worth it. And it's, you do have to sacrifice for things like this that come along. So you get there as yeah. a Psalm, right? Yeah. I mean, you're a bona fide Psalm now yeah. and you're working the floor yeah. and this past year, tell me what happened. Yeah. Well, um, there were some changes in personnel, you know, Charles left and yeah, all that. Yeah, Charles left. But tell me you went from Psalm to what, when? Yeah. So I became head sommelier like over a year later. And when I started at Blue Hill, I had two goals for myself. Um, I said, if I can leave Blue Hill at Stone Barns, uh, being a head sommelier and passing my advanced exam, then I would be really proud of myself. Those were like my two goals for myself and my time there. And I didn't know how long that would be. 
Um, but I did become head sommelier, um, and it was an incredible accomplishment, and uh, it was great. So, you know, when you're a head sommelier, you're effectively more part of the management team. You're definitely a leader in the restaurant, even more so than before. You have a lot more responsibility. Uh, that also coincided with me wanting to pursue my advanced exam. Uh, I took it first um, in St. Louis and did not pass theory. And then I took it again in July, this past July. Um, so I gave myself a little bit this more time. This is the advanced, the right? advanced, and I did pass. Um, but it, you know, it was a lot of work, especially taking it a second time and totally reorienting yourself and your sure. brain. And I want to talk to you about that. Um, but let's finish up the... Um, the chronology thing. So yeah. is head sommelier same as beverage director? No. All right. So we, when did you become beverage director from head som? Uh, this October, the okay. first week of October. So you recently went from being the head som because the beverage director left yes. and you are now the beverage director. And I rarely, rarely, rarely do this, but how old are you? I'm 25. Okay. So you're 25 <laughs> and you are the beverage director at uh, Blue Hill at Stone Barns, yes. um, which is, that's why I asked you, it's pretty impressive. All right, so you were alluding to this, and I'll take it forward, 2019 was a heck of a year. Yeah. All right, let's talk about that. You passed the advanced psalm, mm -hmm. um, and you were also, it's kind of funny and sweet, you yeah. were named Best New Sommelier of 2019, which Wine and Spirits does, and yeah. that's, you know, where you intern. So congrats, you. you know, to a great year. I mean, you really yeah. need to enjoy that, but I know you want to build on it. Um, do you have aspirations to get your MS? I do. Why? Um, I think for me, it's a structure that really works. I love academia after being in the Columbia community. So the whole thing about getting yeah. there doesn't freak you out. The no. studying and... I think the self-discipline, uh, the the way you figure out how you study best, that community is so strong, and I've had such amazing role models that I've seen go through it, and I know it's not for everyone, uh, but it really works for me, and uh, I love achieving something like that. And So it's good goal-oriented. It is goal-oriented. Do you think that for your career... Forget the goal-oriented and what you could learn and that yeah. you probably have the discipline to get through it. Yeah. Do you think you need it for your career? I actually don't. I don't mean that in like a... No, I mean, I sat with Jane. Way. That's, yeah. you know, listen to the Jane Lope show I and did, you'll yeah. get the whole thing. I, I'm talking to even the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, she's off of that now. But 100%. you're in a different position. So yeah. your reasons for getting it yeah. are personal. It's personal. And I think that's how it should be. If not, it will get to you. I think it used to directly translate more into you know certain jobs, but I think there is a way you can achieve, and I have achieved a job I would have hoped to have with right. that title. You kind of got it before you became an right. MS. <laughs> so it's what Jane said. It's it's achieving mastery, and that's for yourself more than for other people, or sometimes even more than professional pursuit. You know, right? Um, and that's more what drives me. So is it fair to say that you're currently? preparing for your MS or no, you haven't started yet? I haven't started because... I'm, are you committed to like I'm, a date? No, like, not yet. Um, are you going to do it? 
Yes, however, my new position is more important to me right now. Uh, so that's what I was getting yes. to. The commitment yes. to study yes. for an MS is nuts. Enormous. You can't do that and focus and be good at your job now, right? I actually believe that's 100% correct. I, I agree. Yeah. And I, I would have to wait till probably after and or make a, a very serious deal about... I mean, when I, when I passed the second time, it took me coming in, you know, at 2 or 3 p.m., rather than 9 or 10 a.m. like I am now. So you need your work to support you almost in that pursuit, and you need a job that almost starts to feel like your part-time job because your full-time job is studying. So what does that mean? That could be a year, two, three years, or indefinite? You don't know? Indefinite, I think, within the next five years, okay. for sure. But I'm also in no rush. I, you know. I, I like hearing that. Yeah. It shouldn't be such a thing no. that you have to stop everything to do it. Yeah. You're where you want to be. Exactly. Um, and where you should be. 100%. Um, yeah. So that'll free you up from a lot of that intensive studying everything. Yeah. I kind of miss it, though, the studying. Yeah, but you'll get back to it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously your focus is at a great place to be the best that you can be. Yes. Um, do you think there's any disadvantage today to being a woman in the wine biz? Do you feel or sense anything? Now, we're not going to get into it, but... You know, things have happened in the business, you know, with harassment for the past few years, some notable people. You've been involved. I don't want to talk about that. But do women, are they still at a disadvantage? Do you get by that stuff? Can you grow the way you want to? Can you achieve what you want to? Are you not being held to a different standard or being... Yeah. I think at Blue Hill, I'm very fortunate to be in an extremely liberal, accepting, encouraging community across the board. Um, so I feel, you can get into a world where it's terrific, yes, yes. and that's what's important. Right. And that's why I'm thankful to work for like a very family-run operation where you have very strong, capable individuals at the top. <clears throat> um, that's not always the case, though, and I feel very sad when I see a lot of these stories come up where women are not safe. Uh, you know, do you still, you know, it's not always about what's in the papers. Right. Do you still talk to people or hear where, I wouldn't say rampant, but yeah. still persists? I mean, it does for sure. I think also just being in the service industry is particularly hard because you are there to serve people in hospitality. And sometimes that gets taken advantage of. I weirdly How? have. I've encountered more situations that are like someone says in a, something inappropriate actually since becoming wine director which is a really weird thing and i think they don't expect it to be a woman maybe yes and i don't like, mind can you send the wine director over and oh, you're like yeah, all the that's time. Yeah, the, yeah because there's a mixed clientele there yes there's um, like old school money oh, and sure. you know people that have wine saved up but that yeah. and people have saved up for their anniversary and know sure. how cool it is and all and of that most of the time like 90 percent, 99 percent maybe is fine but you know, when it also hurts when you're really capable and smart and you're working so hard to serve these people that have maybe been taken care of by the male wine directors for five years prior to you. And then they say something about your appearance at the end or they it just makes it detract. But at the end of the day, it's not their opinion that matters at all. And you have to be able to hold your own. And Good if, answer. Yeah. So without realizing it, you're stating that it still persists and that's still a culture out there and it's, it's going to take yeah, time. Do you think there's any issues with advancement, 
continued harassment and even ownership if you want to own a restaurant or something? Do Are women still at a harder place than men, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Jane said it the best, where it's, it's not necessarily hard being a woman in the wine world. It's hard being a woman these days. And, and she was eloquent about what she meant. It's, it's Just the most appearance eloquent. appearance and how you're treated and all of that. I, I, I think, you know, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get into this heavily, but while we're on the subject, you talked about being at La Serena. And we know La Serena was Mario Batali and Joe Bastianich. And yeah. ironically, Joe's been in the papers in the last few weeks. And I'm surprised it wasn't earlier. Potentially, yeah. I don't know if the word's complicit, but, you know, part of that culture. Yeah. Quickly, when you were at La Serena, I mean, did you sense any of that? Um, there were some party culture moments where, like, certain VIPs, including them, would go up to, like, the cabanas and host late night, who knows what. So stuff was things. happening. Yeah, and I That ain't happening at, at Blue Hill no, type thing. No, absolutely So not. it was definitely a cultural thing there. It was cultural, and I think they were peop- two people that were in power for so long that it was overlooked. I was very much a part of it. I was never in danger. Right. I had a very protective wine But you team. sensed or detected something. There was definitely something off. I was also so new to the restaurant world. I had no yeah. idea what was happening. I mean, you yeah. look back now, if I knew then what I know now type yeah, thing and all exactly. that. Um, that's interesting. The only reason I brought it up is because it just broke in the papers a few days ago. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get off of that. I know you love champagne. I know you love Barolo. Yeah. But I wanted to get your take on, forget about Blue Hill for a second. What's exciting, Hannah, as far as regions, varietals, wines? Yeah. I mean, of late, is there stuff you've kind of fallen into that you like? Yeah, uh, there's still white and red wines of Champagne, so Cote de Champenois wines. Josh was on here in December yeah, and brought oh, still yeah. Champagne. I'm like, so Josh, this crazy. is like so out there. I know. Because you got to taste it. But them. it's so classic. It's it so is good. classic. He All just right, had so an that, amazing article about that, yeah. That's a good one. What um, else? Corsican wine, huge. Uh, our Chef de Cuisine. Let's, let's talk about Corsica, Corsica for a second. Yeah. It's a French island yes. above Italy. Yes. Everybody thinks it's Italian. It used um, to be part of the Republic of Genoa, but it's now right. very French-owned. What's yes. good in Corsica? What type of varietals? And give me a couple of producers. Yeah, so Abitucci is like the king. The king. They have statues of him and a Giaccio in the capital. Right. So he's like actually king. Uh, you know, Antoine Arena is amazing. Those Spell are Arena. Uh, A-R-E-N-A. Like arena, arena. Arena. Okay. Arena, That's a good say. producer. Those are my two favorites. Okay. And uh, the Canarelli wines. Spell. Uh, Chloe Canarelli, C-A-N-E-R-I. I would, I'll write it down after for you. I'll double yeah. check okay. it because I post everything. Yeah, Canarelli in yeah, Corsica. in Corsica. What else? Give me something else beside Corsican that's exciting you. Um, I've always loved the wines of like Etna, all Longue Nebbiolos, like, you know, village level Burgundy too, but also Wait, like Wait, so Longue Etna's Nebbiolos. one thing. Yeah. Then, then Longue Nebbiolo. Yeah. Okay. And Chianti, like I brought today. Okay, we're going to taste a Chianti. All right, Hannah, we have to take a quick break. Yes. We're talking to Hannah Williams. Hannah is the beverage director at Blue Hill at Stone Barns, um, Dan Barber's restaurant up in uh, Westchester. Um, When we come back, I want to talk to Hannah about the wine program there and the food and the whole place and everything. You're listening to The Grape Nation. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. We'll be right back.
This episode is brought to you by Huertas. Huertas serves Basque-influenced fare, evoking the lively eating and drinking culture of northern Spain and creatively inspired by our home in NYC. Consider Huertas for your next event. Their private room is perfect for work dinners, baby showers, and birthday parties. There's even a small patio attached. Learn more at huertasnyc.com. That's H-U-E-R-T-A-S-N-Y-C.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Hannah Williams. What's Hannah Blair Williams? Is Blair... My middle name. Okay. I see that all the time, but People I... People write my full name for some I reason. I opted for Hannah Williams, yeah. that Blair thing. I don't know, married, not married, middle name, no, you know, yeah, adopted name or whatever. All right, <laughs> Hannah, let's talk about... Um, there are a lot of reasons that were interesting to me to bring you on the show, and we talked about a bunch of them, but certainly a big part of it is what you do and where you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's heading up the uh, wine and beverage program at Blue Hill, which is really a storied story, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. Um, so Blue Hill's not your typical restaurant, no. downtown or uptown, starting with the chef. Dan's not your, Dan Barber we're talking about, is not your typical chef. In your mind, why is Blue Hill Stone Barn so unique? It feels like working at Hogwarts. Why? It is a magical, isolated, you know, place that is truly on a farm. So Stone Barn Center, we're located on that farm, which is an old Rockefeller family uh, property. It used to be like the old dairy barn and haylofts uh, for the Rockefeller family that lived at the Kaikit down the street, which is still there. So the whole town of Pocantico Hills was essentially people working for the Rockefellers. Um, It's an incredible amount of history to be around. Um, So that's unique. Yeah, being on an actual farm is breathtaking every day, especially if you're driving from the city up to this like quiet, serene, isolated place. So Dan and his brother mm-hmm. have a farm, I think, in yeah. So the original in Blue the Berkshires farm. Yeah. or something. So the idea of having land yes. at the restaurant, yeah. I think when they started, it's they start, integral. Yeah, they started a program. Do you know, or is there a story why or how Dan was brought up there? Yeah. So they were looking for a chef. Uh, to essentially open a restaurant and run the restaurant there. Uh, I won't say exactly who else they Talk had to. interviewed, but some of the highest uh, people in People New we York. all know. Oh, yeah, okay. of the big restaurants. And Dan allegedly was running a catering company at the time, and he just said, let me cook for you. And he did once, and ever, then, ever since then it was history, and he essentially won the slot. So when you said he was running a catering company, yeah. did this precede the Blue Hill downtown? Yeah, he was doing, yeah, it preceded it. And okay. then he opened Blue Hill, New York, which was actually first. And then he got Blue right. Hill at Stone Barn. Stone Barns is the Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture. But just think for a second. So he got up to the Westchester location before he had the New York restaurant? No. Or 
No, he had Blue Hole in, in the in, city. In the city, okay. Which Jason Cho, my friend, runs right. now. Right. Uh, and uh, amazing person. And then uh, he opened Blue Hole at Stone Barns. So that's the story. Because um, yeah. that it is a unique place in that sense. All right. So the menu there, yes. which you obviously have to deal with, is so fluid and so seasonal. And I guess it's so atypical. Cause, There's you know, no menu. Well... We'll talk yeah. about that in a second. You know, and Dan is like this no-waste guy, plus, you know, farm-to-table and all that stuff. First, we'll talk about that second, but first, do you sit with Dan about the menu and the food to figure out, you know, wines? Even though you inherited a big wine cellar, and we'll talk about what influences you had on it, do you talk about what he's serving or the seasonality? Yeah, we taste every night. Uh, we taste food uh, with our chef de cuisine, Bastion and Chef Dan. It's really important. So every table gets a new menu. Uh, so it's uh, very challenging on the wine front if you're doing wine pairings to essentially create a new pairing for every table if they opt to do that. Um, the dishes are never what you would expect. You usually hear one ingredient, kohlrabi or brassica or cauliflower. What pairs with that? You're and right. one, what pairs with that? Two, whatever you think the dish will be, it'll be something crazy like a milk brined ham hock cabbage. Like Oy. you could never imagine what actually comes out, and it's incredible. But it keeps you really on your toes, which so I every love. night is like you said something different. Yes, every table, every night, every day of the week, it's something different. And because of the type of chef he is, and you just probably rolled off four or five things, yeah. the ingredients are just not typical nope. you know, things and are yeah. probably hard to pair with, right? This is why I laugh when I sit for the exams in the court, because they ask you about pairing with very classic dishes. Yeah. What and my you? brain has lamb been shank. trained. Exactly. I'm like, yeah. I wish I could just pair with a lamb shank, you know? You get like, you know, beef tallow aged beet steaks and... Uh, it's wild, but it keeps you so inspired and you can never slack because you, there's no way you could guess a pairing for some of these things. So um, let's talk about the process for yeah. a second. So you have, I'm guessing you have a very mixed clientele. Um, you know, it's a famous restaurant. It's sort of upscale. It's not cheap. I'm sure there's regulars. I'm sure yeah. it's a destination thing, anniversaries, birthdays, and all that. Certainly. There are people that are going to come in and drink what they want to drink. And then there's going to be guys like me that say, hey, Hannah, you're the boss. Yeah. What's on the menu tonight? Yeah. I won't tell you. What I know, but, <laughs> but what yeah. pairs with that? Exactly. You know, so it could go more white than I want because of Perfect. the ingredients yeah. are all red and all of that. So yes. you're up to that challenge every night, yeah. right? In fact, guests need you to do that more so than other restaurants. They they really do need the wine team. That was and, sort of where I was going. Yeah. So they they they're not stuck on oh we're drinking Bordeaux or Burgundy tonight. They're no. like, what are we doing with yeah. this? It's actually a, a unique thing in that guests look to you regardless of price point. Like, hey, we don't know what we're eating. Can you pick out a white wine, two hundred dollars or below, or forty five dollars and below, or two thousand dollars and below that will go with what we're drinking or what we're eating? And that means you can push whatever you want. You can push more Alsatian wine, which is typically really hard to sell. Uh, you can pu push Australian wine. You can push, you know, more California, like well-made Nouveau California styles. It allows you to be uh, very much a part of that creative process. So is that, I mean, I love that. But yeah. 
on a typical night, yeah. is that a good chunk of the customer yeah. that defers to you? Yes. That isn't like, oh, no. send um, me the guy who knows wine and here's what I want. No, they yeah. defer to you? They defer to us. And I think, like you're talking about the typical customer or guest, as we would say, but uh, I feel like the typical guest is actually really fascinated, curious, and has a lot of intention about being there because this is not a restaurant you can just walk into. Right. It means that, I mean, we have 300 people on a wait list every night. Like, you've really planned this out if you want to be there. Wait, say that again? I mean, we have like 300 people on a wait list every Every night. Every night? Yeah. So this is like you got to jump on two months in advance. It's very planned, but also you have to physically, you know, take an Uber, take the Metro North. So people really want to be there. Um, I find it amazing how welcoming and... You know, you want to be there as their friends, not as like a very serious Hospitality is a big deal. Yeah, you want to be welcoming. You want to make them feel comfortable. And my favorite thing is when they just trust me and say, pick out a few bottles to go with our menu. I love it even more than the pairings because it's a little more creative. Um, so this wasn't even on my question list. Yeah. But is there, is by the glass important or it's more Yeah, we like do. can you sit with a meal and say, listen, I don't want to. Yeah. Drink bottles. Let's pair by the glass. Yeah. I, I know great restaurants have cool by the glass yes. stuff. Is that important it's to you huge. and it's available? Yes. Like you'll get stuff by the glass that you won't see anywhere else we put because all, it's Blue Hill. Yeah, we put allocated wines. Okay. We'll get one case of Jean Foyard, you know, Cotes P. Morgan. That's on by the glass. We had Rulo Bourgogne Blanc on by the glass. You know, there you go. We try to make it really language. fun so we can curate that for people and we change it almost every week. You talk in my language. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the wine list. Yeah. All right. How big? How many different selections? Yeah. So around 23,000 physical bottles in our cellar. Are they all up there or they're all offside? All up there. You have we the have space, a right? a great cellar. That must be like the greatest thing for you to like roam then. It is an old Rockefeller root and vegetable cellar built into the side of a hill. Jesus. Yeah. Perfect place for I wine, know. right? It's our, our cave. So 24,000 wines. How many different selections? Um, on the list right now, around 2,600 selections. And off-list, we probably have closer to 3,600. What does off-list mean? Meaning we're keeping, we have reserve and super reserve. Not on the list. Not on the list. So you can offer it if somebody says, I don't see it, do you have? It's yeah. there? Usually... I'm doing that, and we were doing that prior with things that are like current release Burgundy that are like not ready to drink, so 17s, even 16s, and we like to wait because we have the space and the time to do so, to wait three to five years before putting them on. Right. And one, they're ready to drink. Two, everyone's going to be like, you still have, you know, this and this. That's great. Yeah, so we just create case stacks of them, and we wait instead of just putting it on the list for sake of You have the space. Yeah. And probably the budget to yes. do it. Yes, yes. Um, talk to me about what the strengths of the list are. I've yeah. looked at the list. I mean, yeah. I've scrutinized it, and I could answer the question. Yeah. But I want you to tell me what's there when you walk in. There's yeah. an abundance of... Abundance of burgundy. That's definitely our biggest selection, both white and red. Um, we sell a lot of burgundy, especially this time of year, and I love to drink burgundy. Funny and true story, when I started, I literally told Charles and William, I don't like Pinot Noir. When I first started, I had come from an all-Italian background. I didn't, I didn't even say Burgundy. I said Pinot Noir. You didn't Pinot know that Noir. was a Burgundy? No, like I just didn't like Pinot Noir. I didn't even know to say that it was a red Burgundy. I didn't like any Pinot Noir. 
I thought it was kind of like All lame. Right. And that shows you how far I've come as like a Thank true God. Burgundy collector drinker now. Thank God. Collector for our seller, not personally. Right. Um, so big Burgundy. Big Burgundy, a lot of Napa. Uh, but like really good, like Philip Tony, Diamond Creek, like really stellar. Like the old classic, old not the necessarily unctuous over the top no, Parker wines. I mean, I'll keep maybe three bottles of Opus One, but we right. We but Tiny has wines. been a great maker yeah. and all that. Just give exactly. me a couple other Napa guys that you love. Well, those two are my favorite. Old Dunn is amazing. Uh, old is the key. Is the you key. can't drink a young Dunn. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a big market for that. I yeah. mean, you're a customer base. All right, so we got Burgundy, Napa. Yeah. I'm going to guess... Champagne. is That was not the case when I started. Uh, I helped really build that selection. And we have a good amount of Barolo, I would say. All right, so meld two questions in. Yes. The original question was, what's the strength of the list? Yes. The second question was, what impact did you have on it? What did you bring up? Yeah. What did you add? Yeah. What didn't make sense to you that you brought down? Yeah. So as we talk about this list, what was your effect on it? And what are the strengths? Yeah, it was definitely over time, which I was So very, champagne yes. is the answer to the second thing. You added champagne? It was a collective effort, but I got really into champagne. It's one of the only like true wine visits I did, which I did last spring with Transatlantic Bubbles. Um, so yes, champagne and grower champagne. So grower was, yes, yeah. Let, throw me out a few grower yeah. guys that are prominent on the list or you love or both. Um, Alexander Filane. Spell? Uh, F-I-L-A-I-N-E. God damn, I yeah. never heard of it. It's so good. Why am I doing this it's show? It's never over heard. 150 on a list either. Okay. We have that's, it by the last That's great, right, right? It's so good. All right, so that's one. Give me another uh, grower guy you love. Yeah. Um, I love uh, Manuel Broche is one of the wines -R -O -C -H -E -T. I will. B-R-O-C-H-E-T. Yeah. I'll never not order that if I see it on the list. It is so good. Priced reasonable? Also around the 150 okay. on a list. Great tip. Yeah. So it's like that perfect price okay. point. Is Broche considered a grower? It is, yeah, he's a very okay. small grower producer. Okay. Um, and then stuff like Margay, any of the special club bottlings. Shaman or yeah, Shaman, like. yeah, Shaman. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. All right, so that's champagne, and then you said Barolo. Yeah, what, Italian wine. Italian. Was I, it prominent when you got there, or you upped the game a little? It was prominent, but only at a higher price point. So what did you do? I added a lot of, like, one Sicilian wine. Stuff like Ruque, more Barbera. Wait, more what's Longa Ruque? Uh, it's a secondary or even third great variety in uh, Piedmont. It's really good. Right, you have to help Very me here. You have to spell Ruque. R-U-C-H-E. R-U-C-H-E. Okay. Yeah. And that's in Piedmont? Yeah, often. Okay. So just other Italian great varietals. Italian white wine is one of my favorite values in the wine world where from piedmont from tuscany Everywhere. from anywhere oh my god valdosta vermentino, vermentino or all that stuff amazing okay. um all right last impact anything else that you brought in um stuff like australian wine because i did visit jane and john uh jane loops and john ross in melbourne and that was like a huge aha moment to me um, Do they have to have a lot of Australian wines on their list just because yes. they're there? Yes. But, sh but, but do they like stretch to yes. bring other? They, yeah. They, they try to be strong and... on home. Yes. Okay. But they have others. So give me, drop me a couple of Australian names on uh, the list that 
We're loving. Mac Forbes, M-A-C. Yeah, Forbes is amazing. He has his like RS, which residual sugar level uh, bottled Rieslings, which are great. He does amazing experimental bottlings of like Cabernet Franc and great stuff. Australia is sort of in a renaissance now. It is. Which is nice to see. We don't see a lot of it, and that was the problem. Uh, But now we're seeing more and more. Um, by far in Geelong is amazing. It's like he worked at Dujac and it drinks like baby Dujac. It's one of the best white new world white wines I've ever had. Um, and especially if you can find them with age, which you can do more over there, but, uh, incredible producer. Are people responding to it, ordering it, digging it? We have to sell it more. Right. It's not going to be it's just more on you than people yes. asking for it, yes. which sort of my next question is I'm curious about the clientele as a whole. Um, are they the people that go to a place like that and expect all the treasures, which is Burgundy and all of that? Yeah. Or is there a good share of people, and we talked about this a little, that are like, Hannah, what am I drinking tonight? Yeah, there's uh, both. We have a, a long list of regulars and wine regulars. That are the Burgundy drinkers, oh, yeah. which is why you have it and all yeah. of that. Yeah, but even they're great, <clears throat> and even that they will open up and say, hey, you know what I like. You've served me for three years. Right. What do you want me to drink today? Right. And that's that's my favorite type of guest. Very cool. Um, so if there was one, I hate to use the word criticism, but if there was one thing today that you could change or tweak on the wine list, yeah, and it sounds pretty complete, is there yeah. any way you would respond to that? Uh, I think we are currently working on our New York wine selection. Which uh, is a good upside. It is. And there's a lot of great producers, and it's just a part of the list that we haven't bought for in the past year, and it's dwindled down. Uh, I think we have more Australian wine than we do New York wine right now. And Are you that's bad. content leading that charge, I or am. it's more of an effort than you want it to be? No, I'm totally content, and uh, I love the Finger Lakes. I've been there a few times. We've worked with you know, Master Christopher Bates, who's amazing, and we did a Verju Harvest with Blue Hill with him last year. Um, it's just something that needs more attention. And so, last question, yeah. and then I have to subject you to our wine list. Please. Um, when you talk about New York, yeah, are you thinking like eighty percent Finger Lakes and twenty percent Long Island, or? I think there's interesting things everywhere. Um, That's too diplomatic of an answer. Answer the freaking question. I definitely. You know, steer towards Finger Lakes, but not necessarily just Riesling. The Pinot Noir, the Lemburgers, the Cabernet Francs of the Finger Lakes, like cooler climate red varietals are really interesting to me. So my takeaway from that answer is right now in your mind, and I'm putting words in your mouth, that the Finger Lakes are a little more happening than Long Island. And I don't know if I disagree with that. I think with the style of food we serve, being on the leaner side, it tends to right. work with our menu better. And I think as you move into that, I think you'll be surprised. There's yes. some very committed people oh, up yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so hopefully next time we talk, there'll be some specific... I'll have pages. <laughs> well, not pages, but just good representation. <laughs> yes. All right, Hannah, nobody leaves the Grape Nation without answering our wine list. Our wine list is a list of five questions. Sure. We ask the same five questions to everybody. Okay. We post them. It's fun to see what people like you that have an exposure to a 24,000 bottle wine cellar yeah. and have taken, you know, your life's effort towards wine, what you're drinking. All right. So you may have answered this a little, but let's tweak it. What are you drinking now? What's in your fridge? What's on the table? What's seasonal for the restaurant, for Hannah? What are the few things you're drinking? Uh, 
beyond, well, Côte de Champenois, the village-level Burgundy, I would say, white and red. And Give then, me one or two good village-level Burgundies. And Boisson, uh, Benoit Ant. Wait, uh, wait. What's Boisson? Is that a region? No, a producer. That's a maker? Yeah. B-O-I... B-O-I-S-S-O-N, I believe. Anne Bosson. She does amazing, like, Aligoté and Bourgogne Blancs. Okay. Basically, any producer you want to drink that's super expensive makes an amazing entry-level Bourgogne Blanc. Right, which yeah. is what I drink. Yes, same. So. All right, so Bosson, and you mentioned someone else? Uh, yeah, Benoit Ant. Uh, Spell Ant. E-N-T-E. E-N-T-E. Okay, yes. I'm going to post those. Yeah. <coughs> what else? So that's Burgundy Bourguignon. What uh, else are you drinking today? I love the Berlotto wines. I was uh, about to bring one today. The Berlotto so, from Piedmont. Yes. B-U-R-L-O-T-T-O. Yes, exactly. Terrific stuff. They make Freja, Pelleverga, Longe, Nebbiolo that's never over $20. I am and a fan. They're so not good. that easy to get, They're though. They're not. That's the problem, yeah. but you're right about that. Yes. All right, good on that. Favorite wine and food pairing. Not something you eat every night, but like a few times a year, you go, man. Yeah. This and this are rocking. What is it? That's easy. Uh, That's easy. Wow. Cool Ranch Doritos and Egon Mueller Charles Hofberger Cabinet Level Riesling. That is <laughs> awesome in the sense that that is the alternative answer to fried chicken and champagne. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That is a good one and a first time ever on the show. Yeah, it's, okay? please try it. It's great. Or I, just spate Riesling. Like I, I said, yeah. I post everything. So when I post this, take Hannah's word on this and give it a shot. It's worth it. Um, I know you're busy. I know you're in Westchester. But yeah. talk to me about favorite wine restaurant and or bar that's doing it well. Great wine list, great vibe, great yes. place to hang, good knowledge. Uh, one that's underrated is Popina. And Brooklyn. Not underrated. Yeah. A, a favorite of the industry. It is so great. So Popina in Brooklyn. Maialino. At Corey Holt is the most amazing sommelier. Maialino, great champagne, right? Yes, great champagne. Great red, anything. Great right. everything, yeah. Uh, especially with the pig face if you order it. It's right. great. Uh, Corey's one of my favorite sommeliers. Um, he's like a sommelier sommelier. Like, right. it's like, that's the person you want to serve sommeliers. That place is, that place is chugged out some sommelier sommeliers. Oh, 100%, yeah. Give me one more. And Nice Matan. Arvid? Upper, yeah. Or Aviram. Av, right, Aviram. Yeah. I'm thinking Not of Arvid, Arvid Rosengrin. Yeah, I like just spirits. saw Aviram at the wine. Yeah. And spirits. He just got yeah, married in Florida. He just got Florida. married in Miami. That's right. Um, and he was back on the job last night. Such good a good wine list. Yes. Yeah. My buddy James Molesworth, who's a guest, yes. loves yeah. to hang there. All right. Favorite all-time wine? Used to be the most expensive and rare. What's an important wine to you? Solos. Solos Champagne. Why? Um, I think it defies what wine can be and what wine is. To me, it's not a champagne. It's not even a still white wine. It's its own thing. It's the first wine it's I found like in love with. It's like a cult or something. It is, and I I stand by it though. Uh, it's something I've always really loved. And do you have a specific like initial or what? Is there some uh, bottling that you love? Yeah, uh, Cote Ferrand, which is one of their Ludites. Okay. Uh, it's a Solera that used to be called Contrast, and it was started in 1994, which is my birth year. So I consider it a birth year wine, even though it's a Solera system wine. And I think it often outdrinks the Substance and his other wines. I'm not sure if I remember this, but is there a lot of Solos on your list? Uh, we have a whole page of Solos. I, that's, see, I wasn't yeah. sure if it was you. When I looked at it, it's like Solos, Solos, Solos. I think we have I the go, most uh, in New yeah, York. Yeah, it could be. 
I, I, I don't to make know sure that if that's was you. Sure. I think I, company might be I envy second. you. Yeah. I should throw you out of here now. Yeah. All right. Last thing, and you should be able to answer this because um, we got to end the show with our taste and then get out of here. For sure. Um, recommend best wine, 15 to 20 bucks retail. Uh, give me a red, give me a white. Unfortunately, you've aged me because my kids are your age and they're going to... So you're in the business. Take yourself out. But they're going to a party. Yeah. They can't bring a crappy $9, $12 bottle and they can't afford 40 Right. So what are they rocking with for like 15 18 20 Yeah. You can give me a category, a maker, whatever. Give me a red first. Give me a white. So white, I would do Domaine de Ardoisier coming from the Savoie. Domaine de Ardoisier. Ardoisier. I'll spell it for you after. It's quite a okay. It's quite a name. People uh, won't know unless we spell it. Yeah. So they have different higher level bottlings, but they have one called Salise coming from the Savoie region of France. It's based on the Jacques Hare grape. It tastes like Chenin Blanc, has a bruised fruit yet Malden sea salt quality to it. It is incredible. It's a wine that pairs with almost everything on our menu right now, and yet is extremely affordable. Spell. What Ardoisier? <laughs> I'll do it after. It's it's right. really a... I got to write it down. Yeah, I, I will. All right. So what's my... Was that the red? No, that was the that white. That was the white. I'm not paying attention. Yeah. Um, give me the red. Red, I would do... Harder, right? Yeah, it's harder. In that price range. I mean, I think some of the Jolie Lead wines that are being made in Spastopol and Sonoma From Coast California. are... I, I mean, I don't do know if they it's exactly come that in at that point. price? But... but Yes, I think so. Not exactly, but leaning towards yeah, that. Ad. They're not forty-one dollar no. or thirty-sevens. They're twenty-eight, thirty. I think so. Twenty-four. I, I don't know what retail is pricing them at. Which because Jolie Lade? They have an amazing Gamay from the Barsodi Vineyard that's like lights out. They also make a great Trousseau Noir. This time they put like Val de Gay in it as well. But so fun, quaffable, drinkable. A good approach to like natural tendencies yet not fully natural wine so it's a home run for everyone i'm a fan of uh pax and yes. patrick and those oh guys. god they're and amazing they're all, yeah they're making such good wine they're yeah. you know communal wine for and sure jolie Lade is uh they're making great wines all right good job on that like nice. i said we're gonna post it we have a couple of minutes left so we got to buzz through this yeah i didn't do this in vain every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip this week, I said to Hannah, bring something cool, reasonable, and accessible so that we could talk about it and that you guys can go out and get it. So, Hannah, you brought in a 2016 Val della Corte Chianti Classico. Yeah. Tell me, you love this wine. Tell me a little more about it. So, Val della Corte uh, Chianti Classico is probably not the first thing you think of when you think of cool wine anymore. <laughs> Why? Uh, I think it's gotten a bad reputation for being in like fiascos and you know big jugs and just being a cheap mass-made wine. This is so good. It's super lean. Um, this when you say kind of, lean, what does that mean? So it's not beefed up uh, with alcohol or tannins. It's not sloppy. It's All these, the good qualities. Yes, are there. it's it's almost like a Burgundian approach. I hate to always compare things to Burgundy. No, no, but that's a good. It's fair. Um, and this vineyard site actually faces the Pergola Torte vineyard site. From awesome. Montevertine, one of the great wines awesome. of the world. And to me, it's very reminiscent of that. I like Montevertine. Yes. I like Pien Chipolo. Oh, I like so Perla good. Yeah. So this is like in that and nave. And this is so affordable. It is crazy. What are we talking? 24 27 Yeah, bucks? like I would say 23 to, you know, at most $27 retail, depending on the store. You know, it's currently at Aster Wines. I think Chambers has it. Italy Wine Shop. You can order a case. I know I just so did. So Hannah paid attention when I said accessible. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's do a quick evaluation. Color. 
color, like a nice garnet. clear garnet. Yeah, you fitting know, to like a deepish. brick orange ring. Uh, yeah. Nose, give yeah. me your descriptors. It smells like sun-dried tomatoes and really? plums and balsamic and a grandfather clock. Like kind of old mahogany. Like that old dusty wood yeah. mahogany. Mahogany wow, wood varnish is one of my favorite tasting notes, but it's really there. All right, mouthfeel. It's like a medium to me. I mean, tannins are high, but it's well integrated for sure. Yeah, I'm not worried about yeah. that. It's not unctuous, nor is it thin. Yeah, but you kind of want the... a pizza with it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Three pizzas, but you and I don't <laughs> eat that, so what are we talking about? Paleo and gluten-free. All right, so let's talk about the palate. Does the palate reflect any of the nose descriptors? Yeah, super savory, very, like, tart-fruited, like, mulberry, like, dried mulberries hanging in, like, a drying shed for a while. Do you know how many people that listen to this show ever tasted a mulberry? <laughs> Six. I'm taking a guess. Yeah, but it's like a darker dried red fruit. Right, which is right. What, right. It's not reddish. It's darker. No, right. Right. Um, and it's super savory. Almost has like a fennel, aniseed, fenugreek. Uh, again, like that old. Which is very clock. makes it very interesting, nuanced, and complex. Yeah. Which is what you want for a wine at this price. It's so delicious. All right. So last question, and then I got to do my wrap up. Yeah. What's a good pairing for this? Uh, Roberta's Pizza. Okay, so pizza off the charts. Yeah. Second choice. I made a roast chicken last night with it and drank a bottle of this. Good with roast chicken. Good with roast chicken. What about red meats? A steak, burgers? Meats. So Pheasant. this is pretty diverse. It's so diverse. I guess you wouldn't eat it with like fluke ceviche or something. Maybe not. But you could. <laughs> but you, you could. Want. All right. So that's... So Hannah curated this wine it's the 2016 val della corti chianti classico yeah. pretty readily available and hadn't mentioned a bunch of places like i said i'll post hannah's wine list answers and our weekly wine sip selection all right hannah i gotta wrap up if you have a question suggestion wine happening or event hit me up at sam at the grape nation.com that's sam at the grape nation.com subscribe to our grape nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or nowadays wherever you get your uh, pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, this is a little tricky. We're at S Ben Ruby. On Twitter, we're at Ben Ruby. But you can always use the hashtag The Grape Nation. Um, as I said, we'll post Hannah's wine list and weekly wine sip on our social media sites. I know that. She laid down some good intel, and I want to share it with you. Hannah, if we want to do two things, mm -hmm. if we want to follow you, which mm -hmm. I think would be fun, and we want to follow Stone Barnes, mm -hmm. Blue Hill, where do we go? Uh, me, probably Instagram, H-A-N-N-Z-A-H, uh, Hanza. <laughs> So that's probably it. And if you just want to come see us at Blue Hill. Okay. Yeah. And does Blue Hill, Blue Hill has like Blue Hill Farm? Yeah. Uh, Instagram and website. So yes. All right, Hannah, we got to wrap up. Perfect. Everyone is anxiously waiting to get in. Thank you to our guest, Hannah Williams. Thank you to our engineer, Amanda, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.